It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time to cue. LeBron left to the circle, left to the lane. Going to go all the way and hammer it all the way. We wanted a different approach. The shoot around. Hello to all the Cavs fans out there. We are back from the All Star break. As always, I'm happy to be joined by Colin, my co host. Thank you for the intro, Adam. It was nice to take a breather during the All-Star break. I'm happy to dive into what went wrong with the Cavs' recent losses, what to do with Kevin Love, and any other topics that are on our minds. Let's get into the shoot-around. The Cavaliers sit at 14-24 and after a baffling 100-82 loss on March 15th to the Atlanta Hawks. This was a competitive game going into the fourth quarter as the Cavs were down 66-69, to but the Hawks came out and set the Nets on fire, allowing 31 points in the final 12 minutes. The Cavaliers only managed to score 36 total points in the second half. Looking at the stat line, Sexton had only 15 total points, Garland with just 11. The Cavs continued their uncanny ability to outshoot their opponent by more than 10 shots, yet lose the game by double digits. They were just 38% from the field and 26% from downtown. These are numbers for 48 minutes against a team that sits ranked 23rd in defense. Oh, and they shot about 50% from the charity stripe, which was mostly Allen. The big guy definitely has that to work on. We will not be making the playoffs this year shooting like this. What do you think we need to focus on to get out of this shooting funk? Well, that's an excellent question. I think one of the best ways to get out of it is to move the ball better. There were a lot of times during this game where they were doing a lot of one-on-one. They weren't allowing the ball to be faster than their play, a lot of isolation. And we, you and I have mentioned this a lot of times, and Austin Carr does at least 50 times during a, a broadcast, is the ball is always faster. So I think they need to trust each other better and they need to to actually run plays that allow people to get off screens and set back screens and actually execute on better shots. When they are passing, it's pretty sloppy. They're getting passes into their big men okay, but they're not when they're trying to hit people out and on the wings and whatnot. The ball is either too low or too high. And again, just trying to get into that shooting pocket just to help these shooters and maybe the only other thing i can think of is is going back to cleveland they just seem to shoot a little bit better there they do not shoot well on the road you know you and i started this podcast and we wish that we had more people's ears with the calves at times and in this instance i'm like we're shooting a lot we just need to make <laughs> more baskets. Like, as you pointed out, like we're shooting more than our opponents. We're trying to shoot the ball more often and it's just not going in. You bringing up the charity stripe, I thought that that was really telling because the Cavs were still in the game. But if they had hit closer to 85% of those free throws, they would have been up by a lot going into the fourth quarter. 
And I just think that that was really telling as, or it was really indicative of how the game went. The only other last thing I would say is the Cavs need to figure out if they, who their shooters are, because we know that Garland and and Sexton can produce. Nobody else is producing at a high clip consistently. It's not like one guy off the bench we can rely on. It just isn't there right now. It's Sexton and Garland are able to at least get double digit points and nobody else is really, even Allen, Allen's got a tough job, right? We're not really asking him to do that every night, but who are we asking besides Sexland to produce more points? These last two games have been hard because what they showed going into the All-Star break, even though it was a loss, those last five games heading in were promising. The play that I've seen over these last two games is just really got my head hanging a little low. We're reverting back to bad behaviors of not passing the ball enough. Running better plays, I, I think you're right on that because obviously they're out there running offense. They're not just pushing the ball up the court and trying to jam it down the other team's throat the way that I had been complaining about for the last several weeks. They've been backing off of that a little bit more and running more consistent offensive sets. But again, I don't know if they're really taking what's being given to them. I think they're overplaying their hand and trying to force their game at times when they need to kind of take what the other team is allowing. They've got to try and be a little less excited out there. Calm down, make sure that the pass that you're making is the right pass, that it sets the player up that you're giving the ball to be successful. Because I think that's partly why our shooting percentage is so awful. We're setting guys up for failure by not giving them enough distance between them and the defender. That starts with floor spacing and passing the ball, moving the ball around to to get that open shot. So we need to do more of that for sure. And overall, it just feels like they're not playing confident basketball out there. Something happened over the break where now they've come in and they've forgotten something that they learned before and their confidence is shook. I agree. I I also think, too, this team is still so young. There are times when it makes sense to do a heat check occasionally, but they're allowing their opponents to score so many points that they kind of need to knock that off. You need to move the ball first, and then if you miss a three that you kind of fought for and how you're passing and cutting and getting screens, okay, cool. But when there are a few times where, you know, they're shooting from the top of the arc where they're doing a heat check and it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you all have been allowing too many points in the first half to do that right now. Once you're in a position to kind of figure that out, okay, cool. A heat check now and then makes sense. So we're going to talk more about it in the middle section, but I have to ask, you know, what do we want to say about Kevin Love playing two minutes and going out with an injury? I think it all ties to what you just mentioned. Here's a guy who's the highest paid player on the team, and they were trying to start an offense and move their offense through him. That just isn't working. And obviously, when he goes out with under two minutes in the first quarter, that's going to throw a funk into everything because they had a game plan of, okay, we would highlight love possibly more often. But they haven't been doing that this entire season. And I think that that's the biggest change since the all-star break is love coming back. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like, okay, well, Kevin's here. So we need to try to do these things. And it's a little like, mm, <laughs> but we've been doing these other things. Now we're just changing everything. It's, it's a little baffling. In the first game back, they struggle a great deal. And in the second game, he doesn't make it past two minutes, but they had schemed for him 
and for using him in that game. So when you lose a guy that's going to be a major piece for the game, it doesn't matter if they're limiting his minutes, he's still an important piece that throws the entire offense off for the rest of the game. They've lost their identity, and I'm not sure this is the best time to bring Kevin back into the fold because it may complicate things further. When the Cavs have these poor shooting nights and we're not rebounding the ball as as well as we were when Drummond was playing for us, that's obviously going to negatively impact us because we're not getting second chance shots. We're allowing the other team on their side of the court, their offensive side of the court to get those second chance shots. So we're falling further behind and we're just not being consistent on the boards. Having Nance back, I thought was going to improve that a little bit. But I think, again, Nance and Allen haven't played together. So they're still communicating a lot. They shouldn't be getting out rebounded. They both have a ton of experience and this should not be an issue Just real quick, this rookie, Nathan Knight on Atlanta, just tore us up, and he did really well on the boards as well against us, and it was just like, this dude's a rookie. He's a 6'10 rookie at that, which means that he's not even taller than Allen. In respect to rebounding, a lot of it is just pure effort. You need to just want the ball more. I don't know what Bickerstaff and the rest of the coaches are thinking about trying to get the team to clamp back down on defense the way that we were playing so impressively in the first you know 10 games or so to start the season. But we have gotten so soft in these last 10 or 15 games, it's almost unwatchable when we don't have the ball. And it's not like the, the other team is scoring 65-70% of their shots. They're not. But it feels like that because of how we don't play any kind of consistent on-the-ball defense. On March 12th, the Cavs visited the New Orleans Pelicans at Smoothie King Stadium, maybe the worst-named stadium in all the sports, at least the NBA, and they got stomped. There was a lot of excitement going into the game because Kevin Love was starting for the first time since December. Unfortunately, he was real, real rusty, and the team didn't show up. A symptom of this was how they allowed New Orleans to score nearly 70 points in the first half. Brandon Ingram scored 28 points on 78% shooting. Zion Williamson added another 23. On the Cavs side, Sexton had 19 points, Nance had 11, and newly acquired Quinn Cook had 13 coming off the bench. The Cavs shot 21% from three on 32 attempts. They looked slow, disorganized, and stunned by their performance. I'm sure this is a game they would like to forget. This game was just ugly, right, Adam? We played just awfully. 116 to 82. Yeah, even reading the final score hurts. But when you look at the stat lines, we had 19 points in the second quarter and nine in the third. The idea that a professional basketball team is going to score nine points. We've had some games where we got 12 points in the fourth quarter. Nine is a real embarrassing number. The other night when we were sitting there and we were going through it, it was so painful that they hadn't scored a bucket for like seven, eight minutes. Even then, for the longest time, we only had like four points for the quarter. The Pelicans are 16 and 22. (laughs) It's not like they're leading the the league in just about any way, shape, or form. And they scored almost 70 points on us in the first half. We are falling apart in both phases. And we got to figure it out quickly. I don't know what Bickerstaff is saying behind the scenes, but a game like this hurts. And if they go into Miami and lay another egg... They're not going to be able to pick up the pieces here pretty soon and make anything of this season if they don't start figuring it out. Yeah, nine points in a quarter. I hope they come out next game and really have a chip on their shoulders and try to prove something. 
they're starting to prove this narrative that was in the beginning of the season, which is that they're one of the worst shooting teams in the league. They're proving that, yeah, that's they can't shoot. And Sexton and Garland should take massive offense to that, considering these guys are supposed to be known for their shooting. It was another game of 34, 35% from the field, 20 some percent from three, 13 assists. I barely want to talk about this game. I think I've probably said enough. It's one of those stinkers that you hope is not a sign of anything, but we've had a few of these now, so starting to be a sign pointing to so hard times ahead and another top five draft pick. I'm also really tired of players just having career nights. Brandon Ingram's really good. He shot so well against us because we weren't, again, we weren't getting back in transition. We weren't getting in his face. We weren't doing anything to physically change anything with switching to zone or doing a box and one, nothing. We just kept being like, all right, well, he's going to go off again. So that was really frustrating. Lamar Stevens didn't play until I believe the fourth quarter. I thought Lamar, before the All-Star break, was showing a lot of promise, and I know that he sat out one game for an injury. Lamar is the only guy who's even close to the same quote-unquote size as Zion, and I'm not saying he's going to shut Zion down and he's going to dominate him, but he's the only one who's also 6'6", and yes, he's outweighed by him by almost 50 pounds, but physically... He has been a great second option behind Okoro defensively, and they didn't try him at all. They didn't even bring him in against Ingram occasionally, and I don't know what's going on there, but I thought he put up minutes defensively that were promising before the All-Star break, and I don't know why that's dropped off. It's a little perplexing. As a fan, we thought we had a steal as an undrafted uh, free agent, and the dude only plays a few minutes at the end of the game. We needed him out there much earlier. As soon as they hit 28 points against us in the first quarter, you put Lamar out there, and you see what he can do. That is, I think, indicative of, uh, of how we feel about this game. I think you and I both texted each other like, what just happened? I'm pretty sure Colin Sexton and Darius Garland texted each other that too. Let's go to the tape. Kevin Love started against the Pelicans and the Hawks. He hadn't played since December 27th of this season, and the team wanted to make sure his calf was healthy. JB even had him on a minutes restriction for both games. As we mentioned at the top, he played just okay against the Pelicans. He started against the Hawks as well, but only played a minute and 41 seconds. He's now day-to-day with a calf injury. As a Cavalier, he has not played a full season since 2015-2016, and in the past three seasons, he's only played 82 games total. If this season continues as it's gone, it will be the third time in his career where he's played under 20 games before being shut down for the end of that season. So Adam, how many times are we going to be asking these questions about love? Well, probably as long as he's a Cavalier. I don't know how much longer that's going to be. But I don't know how we'll move on from him. It seems like a a no-win situation right now. Everything could turn around in the next 48, 72 hours, and we could be talking about it in a totally different way. But right now, it's more of the same. It's more of what we've struggled with for his entire tenure as a Cavalier. He's basically been injured and inconsistently on the court for his whole time here. And he's been in the league for 13 seasons. He's played five of those seasons, 70 games or more. So just five times out of those 13, he made it almost a full 82 games. And most of the time, not even that, usually 70 games, 72 games. 
So he usually would miss 10 or so those seasons. Kevin, unfortunately, I've had a nickname for him almost since he joined the Cavaliers. And I believe I said this to you before, not the nickname, but I said this to you when we went to trade Wiggins away for him. I didn't know what Wiggins would be, and he didn't really turn into anything too, too special. But at the time, I was hesitant to to bring Love in because I wasn't sure that he was going to mix as that like Chris Bosh third, that third star. You knew Kyrie and LeBron's egos and the way they played the game. There wasn't enough basketball for for Love. And yeah, his numbers diminished and he had to take a third seat, not even a second seat, as far as being the leader of the team. You know, being in Minnesota, he averaged 26 a night uh, a couple of seasons. He was the up and coming stud of the league when he was up there. And when he came to the Cavs, he became this like third wheel that most nights didn't even play the fourth quarter because they didn't know how to pass the ball around enough for Kyrie and LeBron and him in that final quarter. So they gave him the first quarter to to let him be his own. And then the rest of the game, he basically was on the sidelines. Almost from the beginning, because of what I saw in Minnesota, he was starting to show that he had injury issues, that he could possibly be injury prone. Turns out he has been. I've called him Mr. Glass for the last six, seven seasons. Lovingly so. Sorry, Kevin, I hope that doesn't offend you. I don't want you to be constantly injured, constantly getting hurt. But you've had a a string of really bad luck. Because I'm a film guy, you remind me of the character in Unbreakable called Mr. Glass, who is just not capable of staying healthy. (laughs) And it's sad. It's a very sad truth to Kevin's career. Given all of this, he's still solid statistically. When he can stay on the court, His career averages of 18 points and 11 rebounds, shooting 44% overall and 37% from downtown, has basically been his production every single season, except for two years in Minnesota when he scored 26 a night. I want that Kevin Love, right? Kevin is one of those oddities where he's not on the court at all in the last three seasons, really. But his statistics have remained solid. When he's playing, there's no fall off to his game. Now, this year, his numbers don't look so good, but he's only played four games, and really those four games, he's played two of them. So he started four games, he's played two. Because of that, I lament that we can't get him out there. I have other questions about him being a fit for this team and for what the Cavs have been building in his absence. But you can't even really get into that kind of conversation when you can't keep him on the court. And I have yet to believe that he's not going to possibly be forced into early retirement at this point. Well, I think for this season, he's proven that he can't stay on the court. I don't know if his injury is worse than what the Cavs have been saying. Love has played all these seasons and, and you know, he has commanded that respect to choose what he wants to do per se. I mean, he's definitely the highest paid player on the team. He's one of the top 20 highest paid players in the NBA. I understood the Cavs mindset when they signed him. I thought it was the extension was a little long just because we knew that they were about to have a top 10 pick. Just to kind of refresh people's minds, so the overall contract worth was five years, $145 million. So he signed a four-year, $120 million extension. I remember when uh, that happened, you and I probably called each other right away, and we were like, all right, Love is staying, which is cool, because the last time LeBron left, we were left with Sessions, Ramon Sessions. Was he around? Uh, uh, the cupboard was bare. <laughs> right. <laughs> So 
we knew that the cupboard wasn't bare. And we also know that Love likes Cleveland. But you and I still were kind of like, that's a long extension. It wasn't about the money to us because Dan Gilbert has the money. It was just more about a five-year total contract was a long-time commitment. He never played more than 65 games since the 2016 season. I think that we are going to keep asking ourselves what we do with him because this could turn into a situation like what happened with J.R. Smith when we basically were kind of like, look, man, we're going to keep paying you. You do what you want to do. If you figure something out with another team, we'll try to facilitate something. It could be that Love is like, no, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to do the best we can. Something kind of needs to shift just because playing only four games for this season is not production that the rest of the team can hang their hat on. You can't just be a leader because you're the highest paid guy. I think that's an unfortunate thing about sports is there are times that contracts just don't work out well and you kind of have to move past certain situations. Love clearly has people's ears. Sexton and Love have a good relationship. At least on the court, Love is, is talking him up and trying to figure out how defenses are playing him. But at the same time, even in these two games that we saw, when he started against New Orleans, the offense was completely different than what they've been playing previously. And when you see that as a fan, you're saying like, okay, yeah, they're trying to infuse love into the offense. All right, cool, cool. It's just not fitting. You're a two-guard offense right now. That's your identity. Love needs to be working out of actions that those two guards are producing. It shouldn't be vice versa, especially at this point in his career. I don't know if he would want to come off the bench. If that's something he's willing to do, I could see that. He'd be a great sixth or seventh option offensively for sure, but that's definitely up to him. I've always liked Love's style of play. I think the, the Cavs lucked out in getting him, but we've always thought that it's kind of like, well, is he going to make it through the playoffs? Is he going to make it to the playoffs? Even when LeBron was here, it's always been a little tough to be a fan of his all the time because he's had these issues, which is unfortunate. I think it was important for the Cavaliers organization to acknowledge that losing all three of the Cavs big three, all three at once was going to hurt the fan base and the organization overall. And it was important at the time to keep love. The casualty here was probably more of the salary increases that we saw the cap extension and how everybody just got paid a lot more all at once. And in order to kind of keep him on, they had to, to dump that kind of money at him. I wish it had been for less years. I would probably have done maybe three years, two years with a third option, and maybe even paid him a little bit more money just to keep him here with a, a shorter contract. I can't fault the Cavs for, for making the decision at the time. But in hindsight, it's absolutely clear that it has not helped the team to this point. It's nice to have him there to assist some of these guys in their maturation as basketball players and help them see things on the court differently. But you can get that from a coach. It's very sad that this is kind of the end for Kevin Love. But frankly, it was also the beginning in the middle. He's been an injured player for us and not consistently out there. And now it's kind of a, a nightmare scenario because you're not tradable when you're this inconsistent with your health especially with the sized contract that he has, I don't see us getting out from under him for maybe one more season, possibly. And there's, there's no way we're going to renegotiate his contract. He's not going to take less money because he hasn't been playing games. 
even though I kind of think there should be some type of compensation back to the Cavaliers for basically losing out on that investment. When you sign a player like that to that kind of money, you're locking in a great amount of your franchise's wealth that then hinders you from moving forward. And it doesn't help the NBA to have teams locked into one or two guys' contracts that then they stifle as an organization for almost a decade and they lose their fan base in the process. So does nobody any good to let people wallow in bad investments? I don't know. But obviously, I'm I'm close to it. And I have, you know, I want to see the Cavs get out of this. This feels like a little bit of a mini like New York Knicks situation where like we've overspent and we can't get out of it soon enough. Chances are he only plays four games this whole season. That's it. You know that he's frustrated by it. Maybe there is a chance during the offseason that maybe he does take some level of a buyout just so he can figure out where he wants to end up because the fact of the matter is we have garland and sexton and okoro and allen who are four starters who we need to see what they can do for us still like we know what sexton can do we know these guys can grow but if one of those building blocks you're expecting to help lead that is not able to show up on the court you are rudderless because you have all this talent that you've drafted and you're not able to be like, all right, this is the direction we're going because we have our five starters when they don't. You and I have talked about this so many times. The power forward position became a giant weakness like three minutes into the season. And then we lost Nance as well. We went from a position of strength to we're rotating guys left and right. Maybe Dean Wade will get more starts soon. That'll actually help a little bit. But we saw what happened when we put an actual power forward in this lineup. They won four games in a row and they weren't allowing teams to beat them by 30. The love situation is a microcosm of what's happened with the Cavs the past four years. Because he hasn't been able to be the workhorse, they've kind of had a little bit of a floundering direction. I'm hopeful that they can figure that out quickly and just kind of say like bygones be bygones and just run full head steam with the backcourt that they have with Allen and kind of go from there. The final seconds. Here are a few things we wanted to highlight before this week's games. First of all, we want to give a shout out and pass our condolences to the Cavs organization, Cavs fans, and of course the grieving family of Joe Tate. Joe passed away on March 10th. He was the Cavaliers radio announcer from the team's inception in 1970 through the 2010-2011 season. On a personal note, I just want to thank Mr. Tate for doing his job professionally and consistently for all of those many years. Moving to Cleveland in early 2000, I've always loved listening to basketball on the radio, and Joe was my very first introduction to the Cavs. His wham with the right hand runs through my mind every time a Cavalier dunks. His voice is the first Cavs announcer you hear at the start of our show, and for good reason. He is the Cavaliers. Thank you, Joe Tate. You will be forever missed. The Cavaliers will play five games before our next episode, facing the Heat to round out their most recent road trip, then coming home to face the Celtics, Spurs, Raptors, and the Kings. The Heat and the Celtics games will be tough, but the others are totally possible. What do you think our chances are going 3-2 and two over the next five? 
I'm hopeful that they could win three. I think that they always play better at home. And I really hope that Sexton and Garland can kind of start producing more. I think the backcourt has kind of dropped off since the All-Star break, and they just need to make more buckets. I mean, Colin was averaging close to 30 points a night, and I think Garland kind of fed off of that. They were just moving the ball really well right before the break. This team right now is driven by the backcourt. They're, they're successful wins. They're wins where you're just taking aback and our jaw-dropping wins are because of those two guys. It would also be interesting, too, is if... A trade does happen with Drummond, depending on what happens with that trade, who they get in, and maybe that could infuse a win or two as well. How do we feel about J.B. Bickerstaff's recent performance and how he's been coaching the team so far this season? I'm a little curious if he's getting some pressure from the front office to play certain players at certain times. Are you seeing similar patterns in his coaching as well, Adam? I will admit, in this case, I'm not certain that I've seen the same things as you. I'm not certain that I've noticed that he's being forced to play guys. Love coming back. I don't think that that anybody in the organization had to make Bickerstaff take that decision of bringing Love back. If he's healthy, he plays. He's an all-star. He's an NBA champion. If you've got him, you should play him. I wonder if he feels the pressure to play certain guys that he had a vision that would have a greater role on this team. I wonder if he's going to be able to move away from those ideas and embrace what he's actually getting from the players that he has. Some of these guys have been hustling and showing that they can offer a lot more if you just give them five, six more minutes a night. I'd like to see him be a little more creative in his rotations and in the ways that he's scheming against these looks that he's consistently getting from from teams night in and night out. I don't see the Cavs being attacked differently. I see a team that comes in with a game plan that then can adjust when it doesn't work. And the other team comes in knowing, well, we face the Cavs tonight. So, you know, plan is to run over them. One or two guys are going to have, as we've said, career nights. Your initial question, which is Bickerstaff, how do we feel he's coaching the team this season? I felt good about him for the first 15 games or so. These last 15 games or so have been hard. I saw a team in the first 15 games that even through injury, devastating injuries that made them have to play six, seven guys a night, that's all they had. I saw a team that was scrappy, that was fundamentally fairly sound for for what they were, maybe couldn't shoot the ball the way you wanted, but played really good defense and team basketball. And I feel like the team basketball and the defense has totally gone out the window And I've seen a lot more games of just isolation ball, guys trying to get their stats still, but not by playing with each other. I don't know what to expect the coaching staff to do to fix play out on the court. There's only so much they can tell these guys. The players have to go out there and translate it. I am a little bit down right now about the coaching staff. I think you have to feel that way when you're just seeing the offense stagnate, the defense non-existent, and the fundamentals of assists and free throw shooting and stuff like that kind of also going to the to the wayside you don't have much left to praise and a lot of that stuff if they're not drilling home night and night out to these guys that they have to set a higher standard for themselves they're not living up to their responsibility as coaches i'm sure they are but from a fan's perspective from the outside it's very frustrating to watch and i'm i'm sure it's very frustrating for them too 
Well, yet another all-star break has come and gone. Sadly, some days I feel as if the regular season has become a bit like the all-star game. No defense, ends in 140 points apiece, and possible triple OT. Just a sideshow. I'll, I'll come off my, my soapbox. Did you catch any of the festivities, or like me, have you stayed away? I did not. The all-star game, they tried to change it up with captains, and LeBron's been a captain for, like, every time now. They, like, score almost 200 points. It's not really basketball. They move out of the way when guys are trying to dunk. It's Harlem Globetrotters ball. That's not professional basketball. That's literally a, a show that you go to. You pay tickets to see almost actors playing basketball. This year with COVID, that's on the front of everybody's mind in a lot of ways. And the season has been a great respite in watching basketball and, and kind of taking a break from everything going on with the pandemic. But I kind of thought this was a situation where the league could have said like, all right, well, everybody's going to get their bonuses and everything like that when you get selected to the All-Star game. But we're going to give you those bonuses, but we're also going to match those same bonuses and give them to some type of COVID relief. Joel Embiid of the 76ers gave all of his to three different homeless shelters in Philadelphia. And that's what I would have rather seen. We didn't need to have a party in Atlanta. We needed to have an all-star selection. And then the league continue its movement they tried to push during the first season that they had dealing with COVID last year and show more of that. It was just more of, we know what this is. It hasn't changed and especially right now, you all could have shown that you're a little better than that. Not to be a, a Debbie Downer, but it's like, people need help. Why don't you give some money to some other places? So I know we've talked about this guy a lot, Adam, but have you noticed that Jetty's sporting the headband at times? Are you a pro headband look or are you anti-headband? I've never been a headband fan. I don't personally think that most people can pull it off because it almost highlights the abnormal shape of people's heads. And it's an eyesore. It's not a look that I would recommend most people to try. And you and I, for years, would talk about LeBron's choice of wearing a headband. I think most people anymore maybe don't even remember that he did. It was always this big controversy that when he was having a bad game, he would take it off. And I thought, well, if you think that your headband could have an effect on your game, maybe you should just keep it off in general. You know, And I guess he came to that conclusion, too, over time. With Jetty, it seems like it's utility, at least, where his hair has grown so long and poofy that it doesn't stay out of his eyes. And when he's trying to take a shot, I think it's getting in his way. I would tell him that at his salary, he probably can afford a haircut. They probably even do them in the facility, and so he doesn't even have to go anywhere. So, yeah, headband, no. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us, as always. Let's hope the Cavs can get a W this week. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to rate and follow us on Apple Podcasts and other places like Spotify. Talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. Let's go Cavs!